This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oh, rough as a pair's arse. Oh, didn't get that, did you? <laughs> Sorry. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Ah, lovely touch from Snodgrass. It just shows the confidence of Robert Snodgrass. Hurrahan! Five, and Aston Villa have started 2018 off in some style. Good day, Villa fans, and welcome back to Jednak's Jungle. Now, after a period of playing possum, or as you pommy say, playing dead at Villa Park to make sure I was fit for the Socceroos for the World Cup in Mother Russia this year, Bruce is only gone on resurrecting me at centre-back in a desperate attempt to bait Micah Richards from permafrost hibernation. <laughs> Turns out Richards' carcass was too badly decomposed to salvage, so we had to make do with old Tommy Alphick. With me back in my rightful role in midfield leading the pride, we can now dispose of Glenn Whelan down the dunny. So listen, Bruce, it's all about promotion now. If we don't stay on course, things will get as rough as a bear's ass, that's for sure. Pray to the god of beards for me, will ya? Welcome to the My Own Men Said podcast show. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOwnMenSaid.com. We are back after the holidays, and joining me is the man who predicted we would get five wins in December out of six fixtures, Dan Rogers of the TheVillaUnderground.com. Welcome! What went wrong? <laughs> this is why I don't gamble anymore. Uh... <laughs> oh, that went well, didn't it? That went well. Did... Did we? Yeah, we got one. We got one. I, I think I said three. I think I said two draws and one loss. So uh, both way out. But you, you, what? What? I mean, you, you had like optimism running through your veins uh, at fever pitch. I just, I, I felt, I, th- I really thought we'd just plow into December and we perhaps, I thought we'd, where we'd be where we are after the Bristol game, sort of earlier in December. We just lost our way badly for three or four games. Um. I don't think it, I mean even you you didn't think I don't think anyone anticipated we find ourselves in that horrible four game rut. I I think as I said previously once we got in the playoffs I never saw us uh, dropping mm. out until mm. the you know for the rest of the season and it was just a matter of w- would we uh, sustain ourselves to be automatic or you know would we kind of scrimp around and I mean cause, mm. I mean if, if Aston Villa's current squad cannot make the playoffs then uh, there's something wrong but uh, we'll we'll talk about that later on. Uh, how was how was your holidays? Did you stick local or did you uh, venture off to visit some family in far off lands? No, all, all local family from far off lands visited here. Uh, so it was uh, a Birmingham based Christmas. It was all all good fun. So it's a funny one this year with the the game on the twenty third. 
against Sheffield United. There was that sort of uh, bit of a lull while we waited for another home game. Bruce berated that, saying uh, the fixture people should have a look at it. You, sh- you know, fans shouldn't be having to travel to London and up mm. to Middlesbrough around Christmas, which uh, you know was was right. I mean, normally it's it's a Boxing Day local derby yeah. of some yeah. some kind, or at least yeah. a Midlands uh, Midlands encounter. But I actually I had two weeks on the road. It was the uh, Dave Michael Roadshow. Went to London for a drinks up. After about eight pints and three tequilas, uh, I had three hours to kill <clears throat> before I got a sleeper train to Edinburgh. So I went in to see Star Wars The Last Jedi, which, interestingly, when I was in Scotland, a uh, friend up there wanted to see it again. And I, I said, yeah, go on and I'll, I'll see it again. Hang on, did you and pretend I, you hadn't seen it or did you? No, no, we, we'd both seen it. We had, you know, when I landed, we had, a you know, kind of a big discussion about the film. And, uh, mm. you know, I was very eloquent in what I was saying and, you know, what I was, faults I was picking out and you know good things about it and then when I watched it uh, the second time I realized uh, I was seriously going in and out of that film uh, due to the uh, seven or eight pints and three tequilas <laughs> because uh, <laughs> three tequila glasses I don't remember those five seconds and oh I don't remember those five seconds either <laughs> all those ten <laughs> seconds so it wasn't like you know normally you go and see if well speaking from experience you go and see a film you you fall asleep for five minutes and then you regenerate and and you're back in it and mm. you're all right but this was like I was literally there was like seconds of the film every so often that I had no recollection <laughs> of so uh, God knows what was happening now. Did but you then, do this during uh, your film career? <laughs> so all yes, those reviews that all, you did all the time. No, you have no all clue the time. what happened. All the time. I remember going to see Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Co, which was Robert Rodriguez with Johnny Depp, mm. uh, Antonio Banderas, I think, and Selma Hayek, and and I, and that was a midnight screening in Venice, and I was absolutely pissed when I went in, <laughs> and I just, and the, the the film makes no sense whatsoever, and I was just sat there, and I was just smiling at the screen. <laughs> Do you know what? I might take this approach with some Villa games, actually. I might arrive after eight pints and three tequilas, and I could be the person, the outrageous optimist. In fact, perhaps I was like that before Christmas. <laughs> Week in Edinburgh, and then I was in the nether, northern regions of England. I went to York, and then Hull, and Lincoln, and uh, then back to Brum. Get any good presents? Uh, that so, so good that I can't recall any of them offhand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got uh, somebody got me a, uh, a, a Amazon Echo. Ah, oh, you've joined the club. Being a big fa- fan of 1984, I'm always against this kind of surveillance and people monitoring what you visit on the internet and listening, I'm listening in. To you, David. Facebook listening in because your mic's on and uh, suddenly they're giving you ads and mm. uh, conversations you've had and all. So while we're recording this podcast, uh, the Amazon Echo, the microphone has been uh, switched off. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's on there. Mm. Anyway, let's get into uh, the show. <laughs> Into uh, the three points before we dissect uh, what happened in in December and obviously on the uh, New Year's Day. The New Year's Day massacre, as it will be uh, fondly remembered from now on in. Uh, The three points. Speaking of the New Year's Day massacre, uh, I don't know if you saw the post-match interview by uh, Steve Bruce, where he opened up by saying he was as rough as a bear's arse. (laughs) Oh, that mic's not on, was his next line. Oh, oh, is that mic on? Is that... Is that Amazon Echo on? <laughs> <laughs> he looked a bit ill on on the post-match yeah. Middlesbrough, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. where he was slagging off uh, all his fans about being arseholes and uh, mis- mass hysteria, when most of us were just unhappy that our promotion uh, campaign it's seemed to have... Uh, the wheels had come <laughs> off and we'd slipped out of the, uh, the playoff spots where we'd been for the last uh, couple of months and suddenly we're in ninth place. When you've even got Ian Taylor, the stalwart villa a rep going, fucking hell, we're mid-table. It's, it was a bit of a worry. Then you've got the owner saying, uh, this is a disaster month, and then you've got the CEO saying yes. we're cancelling all leave and we're going to get to the bottom of this by asking the hard questions. I mean, maybe, uh, noticeably, Bruce was ill the mm. two games we won, so maybe that <laughs> was what's linked to the, uh, the suddenly flipping form. Uh, also, it's... Uh, 
sure the saying is a badger's ass and not a bear's ass, but uh, (laughs) never mind. Point number two, uh, well, this is probably the same thing. Mass hysteria has uh, struck once again. This is something that uh, the term that he was using at the start of the season after three games when uh, the Twitterati were calling him out and uh, hashtag Bruce out was once again up and running. But I mean, at the time, you know, we obviously had a bit of sympathy for him because he'd only just got X amount of players in. There was other players. Other players that still had to uh, come in, and you know he hadn't any chance of playing his first eleven. Mm-hmm. But this, as we, you know, as we said, it was about a team suddenly out of nowhere slipping out the playoff mm-hmm. uh, places when they were suddenly faced with teams in and around them, mm-hmm. and uh, suddenly you were you're staring at the league table and we're ninth, and you're thinking, well, you know, haven't we learned anything? Yeah. And also the fact that you know we're still going into games where. You feel like you could flip a coin for the outcome. It's not as if you we're feel like in you a flip a coin in game. Sometimes for for me, that there's a couple of things about the mass hysteria comment that it's interesting that both times and both times Bruce has used the term, so he's brought the mass hysteria word to the table. People on uh, online dug up old articles of uh, you know when Sunderland had a dodgy start. And, you know, this is a few years ago, and he's using it then. I think is it 2011ish. So it's obviously his little. Uh, he's got a little trademark on that one. He's got a little trademark. The other thing is that he um, he he uses the word crisis a lot. I mean, that, that, I was just reading some of the transcripts, and I we even dug out the the interview that he did post match after um, it was after Middlesbrough, wasn't it? And he must have yeah. said the word. Well, he definitely said the word crisis three times in what what can only be fifteen seconds. It, it was a funny one because I, I sit I sit firmly in the you know as I've said in, in a couple of pieces on my site in the centre ground where you try and make some reasoned sense of what was going on. I think we were quite similar and and again with with the other reasoned Villa fans who go, do you know what? There are some quite obvious reasons as to why we think we're not doing well, and it was yeah. no surprise to me that. Enforced or otherwise, uh, you know, we'll get into the games in a minute. That when those changes happened, as say enforced or luck or you know a bit, a bit of coming to our senses in terms of gameplay, results suddenly swung back in our favour. I don't yeah. think it was any surprise to, to us, but I don't think as well. I mean, I, I perhaps swing a bit further than yourself in, in in the direction of I think there was more hysteria and, and the calls for sacking him were premature. I think he was at a juncture when we went to Middlesbrough. But in terms of mass hysteria, I, I think one or two things happened. I, I thought the, the online comments from uh, Jar and uh, Linus, is that helpful to a, to a sitting manager? to, to make? So I, I don't think so. I wouldn't want my boss doing that to me on, on social media. Um, before I started work. Because this, this was the thing, I mean, uh, you, you certainly got the Birmingham Mail who are obviously firmly supporting him, uh, you know, from start to finish, saying uh, Bruce Out Brigade should give give their heads a wobble. But as you've said, this wasn't about fans. I mean, I, I mean, from my timeline, I'm, I'm not seeing mass hysteria. No. Uh, I'm um, you know, I... I know there's a lot of people out there who don't want Bruce and there's the ex-Blues connection and so any excuse, any bad run of game, it's like get him out, get him out, get him out. But it was completely legitimized uh, by the owner and the CEO actually publicly declaring this isn't, essentially, this isn't good enough and, you know, it's a fair comment and any rational person would say this is not good enough because, hey, we're in, we were firmly entrenched going into this period, two points behind Cardiff uh, for the automatic spots and then suddenly we are, have slipped out with three points off the playoffs in ninth. And I think the owners, like, sh- you know, they shit their pants a little bit. Uh, yeah, understandably. Well, I think that shows and I think that the, there's a couple of things, the pressure points show, I think, the the owners the owners panicking because he's thinking this stands to go sour very quickly if there's no improvement. Which I have to say, if we hadn't won two games, I think that uh, my view has always been that having to sack Bruce will put us in the worst position since we've been relegated. You know, we were essentially at square one when you do that, and you're at the lap of the gods. I think in terms of getting it, you know, through another transition, getting the right manager in, and I hate the idea of doing that again. So for me, it's not because I like Bruce, but the thought of having to sack another manager is even worse, you know, irrelevant Yeah, it is. I mean, somebody texted me on the day of the Middlesbrough game, and he said, oh, if we don't win this, I think he's a gunner. And I said, no, nah, I don't don't necessarily think that. I think if he doesn't win one of his next, uh, I can't remember if I said two or three games, if he doesn't mm. win one of his next three games, then it's going to be hard because what's the best time to sack him? Yeah. Uh, it's now. Yeah. Just before the window kicks open, so it doesn't win another. So who? How many games would have that? That would have been seven games without a win, mm. and then you know there's been managers sacked for 
six games without a win, you know, recently. Yeah. So uh, I think we both prescribe to the I, view that modern football has this this binary way of thinking. But this is a little bit different at this stage than let's say Sheffield Wednesday and Forest, where they're just in a rut and they're like, yeah, let's you know, let's try something else. Yeah. This is at the roulette table where you're mm. thinking we have to win, i.e., get promotion. Yeah. This season, most people who are listening to this will know why, in terms of financial fair play, the parachute payments, uh, collapse of our etc. etc. So it's now or never. Mm. That's the kind of mentality. So seven games, if he doesn't have a win in seven games, then you get the manager in and he's got a transfer window to try to rectify this. Although, I mean, we don't need that many people in the transfer window. The yeah. squad's there. Yeah. That's the frustrating thing. Well, that, that's been our, that, that's what's been the reassuring thing. And that's why I thought that we would do better in, in December. And I do think we've done. You look back and you think, right, if, if we'd have not been so self-destructive against a Brentford and if we'd have been more clinical again and just more more direct and, and at a team like Millwall, well, add six points just from those couple of games I mentioned to that and, and just go into games like the, the Derby game and the Brentford game on the front foot and they, they're they possibly different results, aren't they? But yeah. we, are, we are where we are and I don't, I think that we were approaching the point of crisis, but I don't think we we were there. You know, and I think that the it was very important that we won at Middlesbrough because I think a a defeat would have made it almost a crescendo of noise going into into the Bristol City game where I hate the idea of must wins because that's like a, a, a fuel to to the press to to stoke um to stoke yeah. fans as well and 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 it does it does become a self feeding problem that games become must win and I think that the fact that we managed to win the, the Middlesbrough and the and the Bristol City game particularly the, the Bristol game so emphatically changes the narrative again and it shows you how actually you know it's not many days since we were on the verge of crisis but it shows you how quickly it can be averted too right listen uh, let's close off the mass hysteria there uh, because obviously we'll talk about uh, the context of these games uh, in the next few minutes but uh, number three of the three points took me by surprise the fireworks where where did they come from <laughs> I, t- I mean <laughs> I, I wandered, wandered onto the halt end and I thought well we have genuinely put dustbins right back in the <laughs> right wing and it was uh, an impressive oh, yeah. I think you, it's a bit of a Marmite thing. Some people go, oh, oh, I don't like the idea of fireworks. It's better. Oh, I thought it, was, it it set the tone quite nicely, actually. Yeah, it was, come on, let's fucking fuck up. Oh, come, come on, on. Burn them. <laughs> burn them Burn all. them, motherfuckers. Because <laughs> uh, I think against Wolves, uh, Wolves use this kind of flamethrower thing, which is uh, kind of similar to what we saw at Wembley uh, against Flame Arsenal. Flamethrower. <laughs> But yeah, well, you know, like they spurt out flames, but this did that, and then suddenly there's all these fireworks going off. Which uh, I don't know if the health and safety boards. I mean, one fan has a pyro stick, and uh, the earth yeah. ends. You can't take one of those snappable glow sticks into Villa Park. You can't even take a bottle lid, for God's sake. Because it took, took you... about five minutes for the smoke to uh, disperse. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it I, did set I, it up quite I well. Thought, mm, yeah, but I thought cool. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Because normally I, I look at that and I get, and I said and I always think, well, I think the fans should do all this. You know, it should be the fan driven mm. when it comes to atmosphere. And you got those people waving flags in the middle of the pitch. Mm. Is meant to be like creating atmosphere? Yeah, not really. And uh, waving in the middle of the pitch was always ruined by by Bolton for me. They always used to bring those flags in when they scored and that. I feel good. I used to hate that. Don't they wave flags behind the goal now when Villa score like they do at Arsenal? Mm. Or Arsenal used to do, and that's uh, yeah, it's all it's a bit, bit lame-o. But uh, but it kind of worked against Bristol. Just it kind of shook people up a bit and just kind of focused them and you know to get them into uh, the mood for it. I mean, I don't know if that's yeah. uh, you know in hindsight because we won five nil because. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, we're getting to the Bristol game in the first the first fifteen minutes of the Bristol game. We're, we're quite cagey, really, but it was something different, and it, I, I thought it worked. Where I think things like that can go <laughs> badly wrong for obvious reasons, but but they can they can feel a bit tacky and a bit pointless. But actually, it was quite. It was good, and you only have to look at some of the photos. It wasn't done on the cheap. It was a good. It was visually yeah. impressive. Um, so, do you, is this it. is this going to be a every game scenario, or is it just you think because it was a New Year's uh, Day and uh, Tony thought it was the year, the Chinese year of the lion, but actually it's the year <laughs> of the dog, and that's why wolves are top of the, the top league dogs. and running away with it. They the are. dog heads. Yeah. But we shall see. I mean, uh, bring it out on the big games. It's uh, why not? If you can afford it, Aston Villa. (laughs) 
let's talk about what's happened uh, mm. recently and let's break it down. I mean, there's a, there's a kind of a twofold thing here. There's uh, why did December go so wrong? And mm. also the, the renaissance uh, of the last two games. Mm. Obviously, as we said at the top of the program, you, you, you were saying five, and I remember at the time going, this guy knows nothing about football. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, this out. <laughs> there's this kind of, you know, it's it's you have so many games coming thick and fast, and you know you're going to drop points here and there. It's just the, the kind of nature I, I, of the I beast. Just, I don't know. I, I just thought we might get into a, you know, we through November, we'd got ourselves onto a nice run. And and I and I just thought, you know what, if there was going to be a, a period where we might come out the other side and having made a bit of a statement of intent, because in my head, it, and it's, it alludes to what you were saying at the beginning of the show, really, that we were starting to come into a group of fixtures of teams around us, that top eight thing where there's a few few rumblings of, oh, we never beat the top eight teams, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was a dis... It, it, by not getting off on the right foot, I think it became sort of like a self-propagating problem that... Um, I mean, we, we joked privately that, you know, we had a couple of people contact us after the couple of defeats because we sort of posted similar things around what we thought Bruce needed to do to change this. The glaring, yeah. the obvious, really. And when those changes happened, you know, it wasn't really any surprise from my point of view that we started to see some results. Because like, it was all logical, logical stuff. Yeah, and, I mean, and, uh, I mean, off uh, yeah. the top of my head, I'm, you know, we're talking about things like, can we just sort out the midfield? Mm. Because that's holding us back. Can we, you know, play players that, have triumphed in playing further forward in midfield like Lansbury and Hurahan at their mm. previous clubs and that's why we bought them why don't we play them in similar roles at Villa because they're playing a lot lot deeper mm. Grealish can we sort him out is he somebody who needs to be playing in a certain position or does he need mm. a team playing in a certain way and uh, there's kind of a bit of a bit of both in terms of that solution but against Bristol you actually saw him as he's almost like the conductor yeah. of the orchestra and yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if Bruce would have the balls to put him out there in that kind of role and you know and also I didn't know if you know Grealish had it in him to kind of deliver that with that kind of responsibility well, this is where we I mean we caught we caught up separately and it sort of mirrored some of our observations post post Middlesbrough and then again after the Bristol City game is that Bruce's hand was forced in game during the during the Middlesbrough game because of injury wasn't it he had to bring Greedish yeah. because of the uh, Onomura injury um and the Bristol City game it, I mean with it forced the start, but we saw an unshackled Grealish for one of the few times, and, and it's the first time I actually rocked back in my in my seat a bit, and I thought, bloody hell, it's the same problem that hurahan has been having, I think, to some degree, that yeah. we saw how effective he could be against um, against City, that you allow players to actually have a bit of freedom and, and express themselves, and, and you know they get a goal and their confidence grows, Hogan being a, a good example who we'll get to. Um, but Grealish was a, was a revelation against Bristol City, and... and um, uh, you know, we, 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 we've sort of got a little bit of a mini list of people to work down and, and to sort of evidence and to underline the point, really. But there is this thing about how fate transpired because he had a decent game before the Middlesbrough game, but then he was suddenly dropped. And yeah, a, a lot yeah, of fans yeah. were saying, what, what's going on here? And, and as yeah. you said, he only got on because Onomar uh, got injured. Mm -hmm. Sim similar with Elphick, who I've... Yep. On this show, like weeks ago, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. months months ago, said it's well, get Elf wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah as, as soon as Terry got injured, I said, well, people are talking about oh, it's Samba Yedinak, and we've actually got somebody who's let's not forget he was the captain of Bournemouth, who you know who got promoted, and he was the bee's knees, and he's it was three three league titles, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, and he had you know he had some iffy uh, iffy moments at Villa, and then he's just written off as a lot of players mm. have have been. Mm. I mean, you know, if going back to F Fabian Delph, I you know I had to tell people to uh, you know get lost in that because they would they would say he's shit, he's shit, he's shit, and it's like, well, you know, he's a he was at a certain age, he had so many injuries, but it's just like some players you've got to be a bit patient with. But Elphick's already done it, and you know, we've had this debate before. Did players suddenly turn shit when they joined yeah. Villa? No. It's my well, that's that's my default phrase. I think that you don't suddenly become a shit footballer overnight. And so Elphick plays, and then in the next mm. game uh, he puts in Yedinak again. Mm. And this is the infamous one where Whelan gets ill, mm. and so it forces his hand to actually uh, on the day to select Elphick back and Yedinak. And this is uh, against Middlesbrough, mm. and you know all all's good, and and we won that game. I didn't understand. I mean, a admitting this. Mm -hmm. And B, even thinking it in the first place, that after seeing Elphick, who had a decent game, uh, was it against Derby in the, the previous game? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
or, or Brentford, but he had a he had a decent enough game, and then to suddenly drop him and sacrifice Yedinak, and Yedinak, who had been you know two games where he'd been dog awful, chronic, and, yeah, it sends a half. I mean, he he'd cost us two points against Sheffield United, and he'd uh, obviously let Derby. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if we'd have beaten Derby anyway, but uh, obviously he contributed to that. Yeah, yeah, it made us weaker, that's for sure. And then to suddenly suddenly throw him back in, it's just like, wait, what, what are you thinking, Bruce? And this this was the kind of thing where I think if you're um, if you're easily swayed or if you, if you feel Bruce isn't the manager for you, I think this is the kind of thing where Bruce doesn't help himself. That you know, taking the Alfik Yedinak and Whelan dimension, you had Alfik who'd come back into the into the into the as an option. Yeah. You know, it's easy. That's his position. Um, he was fit. He'd come in and done all right. The inexplicable thing was Yedinak, who'd been identified as the replacement, had had two abysmal games uh, in that position yeah. at a time when Whelan, who, you know, let's be grown up and talk about, he, he was doing okay, he had a poor start at Villa, he was doing okay, the stats back up, you know, the, the tackles and yada, yada, yada. But the undoubtable facts were he was costing us games through through mistakes and errors and goals. And yeah. his, form had, his form had fallen off a cliff in that key December period, yet we were looking to persevere with him. And it took that illness to Whelan to force the obvious change and it reminded me a little bit Martin O'Neill was very guilty of stubbornness where he almost didn't want to you know pick the obvious yeah stubbornness with players that he'd actually got in himself and even though the better option was there it was because you know he hadn't actually brought that player to the club Negaton alert! Blues boss Barry Fry at Villa Park! More handsome than Bruce! A point as manager! A point as manager! And, and that was the that was the thing that, that jumped out at me that when, when Bruce says, Oh, you know, I've got my way of playing and it's worked for me and I'm never gonna change. Well that wasn't actually what he was applying. It was a hang on a minute, now I'm the boss and I'm you know, I'm gonna almost pick a team to make people go, Oh, well, aren't you the clever boss who's picking this combination of players that we would never pick? When it hurt us for for two or three consecutive weeks there were you know, like <laughs> Like, like Unama being played who, as he chronically lost form, you know, it was a revelation in the early part of the season, approach, you know, through into November. Um, Davis chronically overplayed when, when really what we should have been doing was judging well, by we, the Bristol City games and, and the, the, you know, Hogan needing game time, his own admission. We'd, we'd missed a trick, hadn't we? Well, we'd, you know, we'd also seen a selection where Bruce went without a recognised forward. Despite mm. despite having uh, Hogan and Gabby on the bench, I mean, at the time, uh, well, he admitted after the game, uh, maybe he made a mistake there, and it was three consecutive weeks he would he was rocking up at the at the press conference and saying things that you thought, well, it's very honest to do that, and that's the one redeeming thing of he's admitting glaring errors, which I don't yeah. have an issue with someone. That's a very you know he's manning up and he's saying I would have done things differently, but it's the bit where you think, well, why did you do it in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind people like if it's a fifty-fifty decision, and and yeah. you know, you, in hindsight, they say, well, you know, maybe I got that wrong, but you kind of understand why he went for it because it's you know, it's kind of fifty-fifty or it's worth a try. But when it's something like da 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 Villa yeah. first eleven, yeah. no recognised striker, it's like, well, okay, let's judging on how our midfield's been keeping the ball and creating chances uh, so far this season we're not exactly Spain uh, ally when they were <laughs> winning the World Cup no. and uh, European Championships uh, sometimes playing without a recognised striker this just seems to be making us even blunter you know than we were previously also Hogan you know it's now or never you've got 10 you know you, he's the one who bought the damn player for mm-hmm. 10, mil, 10 plus million whatever it is and you haven't even got faith to play him when you haven't got any other option it's that's like ridiculous and uh, he's obviously fit enough mm. to play or else he wouldn't be there no, uh, so uh, victim uh, yeah. of his own downfall. I mean, to turn it on the fans and say mass hysteria. Well, this, this, you know, it was almost like you're watching your your manager fraying in front of your eyes at times. Well, that, that, that's why my my suspicion, and it's not founded on on anything other than, than than speculation, really. But I do wonder that before the Middlesbrough game, given the statement from the chairman and the CEO, whether the conversation had been had as to what the next two or three games should look like and what the outcome would be realistically if if it didn't look a certain way Bruce looked a man under pressure for me uh, you know from but from the fans but you know in terms of mass hysteria for me you've got to count the the club's stated position in that as well and I I wonder whether that was a less than thinly veiled swipe that may have been misinterpreted as a dig at the fans potentially yeah I think there was one thing uh, I did notice 
was uh, in the you know the Middlesbrough post match lash out. Mm. There was uh, he was specifically targeting this Brentford forty five minute blip at the end of the Brentford game. Uh, he had the players had to leave walking past uh, the Villa end where mm. the sorry where the Villa away fans were, and everybody was chanting, uh, "You don't know what you're doing" as mm. they left the pitch. So I think a part of Isolating it down to Brentford 45 minutes was a kind of reaction to that, as well as obviously what we just said about uh, the owner yeah. and the CEO. It was, it was all. But he shouldn't have been. Yeah. I don't think he should have been saying that. He should no. have just stuck to, you know, keep it boring and just say, you know, we've had a bad run uh, this December, but this, you know, we're back in moving in the right direction and hopefully that will just be our blip and uh, mm. it's, it's all uphill from here. Just quickly going through those games. I mean, against we we covered the Millwall one last. So mm. every and you know when we had one shot against Millwall at home, there was Love worrying. Them. There was worrying signs there, and that did follow mm. through. I mean, Derby. I thought we were lacklustre. I mean, the <laughs> fact that Vyman scored uh, <laughs> Brentford, who some fans called the pub team before the first time we mm. played them, and we haven't beaten them in four attempts in the Championship, and they've played us off the park. You know, generally speaking. Well, and the thing is that Brentford team has been has been absolutely churned up every single time. Yeah. There's been every transfer window in between. They've been absolutely harvested Pillaged. by the division, yeah. haven't they? And uh, and that that's a it's a fair it's a fair thing to be fair to um to Brentford though and, and I think that they they were they caught us when you know we had a, a classic Villa of two halves I thought that our setup our tactics some of the personnel on the pitch it defined how we'd lost our way in in, in December for me you know Derby was a different game because I think we caught Derby when we were uh, we were in that moment of, of Bruce stubbornness if you like around the, the centre half pairing and actually Derby yeah. had been on a, a real ascent yeah um, no they've been rocking and rolling for sure it all culminated i think in in this need to just look at you know the fact that we've got a good group of players we just actually need to use them for for the purposes and the qualities that they've got and i thought we did a really professional job on on middlesbrough moving towards the positives because i thought middlesbrough were poor personally and you know I, yeah I, I had a i had a funny feeling we'd beat middlesbrough i was actually more confident going into the middlesbrough game than the bristol game yeah, yeah I, just I just because it, yeah. that's how funny yeah. that's how football works uh, bruce lashes out there's all this furore in the press and you just think hey he's going to mm. win the next game into so he then yeah. you know suddenly he's got the high ground it was it was the first half for the Middlesbrough game for me there was you know and you look at the team sheets before as well and I saw Gishted on the on the team sheet and I thought you know you know enough about Gishted to know he's not particularly mobile and oh, come on I wouldn't he's a lovely chap but wouldn't buy him back you know yeah. Yedinak actually did a good job marking him mm. so that kind of nullified Gishted's threat yeah. uh, quite quite easily actually and I thought that you know we saw again another former Villa player in uh, Adama Traore, who even now people seem to—I use the word—romanticise about this exciting prospect from La Masia, you know, the Barcelona academy. Doesn't do it for me, you know. You can do a pacey run every now and then, but I'm sorry, you you squandered, you're just wasting away in the Championship. And, doing nothing I think there was uh, an example of a use for him actually it's when you have a corner <laughs> like you, you've got a yes. corner you just leave him at the halfway yeah. line because we, we had a counter attack and was it Hepburn Murphy or somebody was like clean through and he just blazed he just ran back as, as oh, cover yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just out sprinted them completely so he's like the ideal man you leave on the, the centre spot just to uh, stop any counter attack uh, you know when, when you're going up for a corner if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Nathan Baker, another player mm. that people cry about. And he had a chance, actually, early doors. I mean, mm. Bristol City, uh, you know, they looked pretty lively first kind of 10, 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, and, you know, could have, yeah. could have taken the lead. And there was that moment where Chester actually, it looked like the ball was going in and, and Chester cleared it off the line. Yeah, it was a great block. There was a bit of a kerfuffle. You know, if that had gone in, totally different game. But Bristol had a tough game against Wolves. And they, and obviously they, 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 they lost their top keeper as well. So uh, They did, they did. I, I thought the replacement keeper, I, I watched the Wolves game and, um, you know, the few minutes that the replacement guy was on the pitch, I didn't think he... he I was looking forward to him coming to Villa Park and he, and he, yeah. he didn't really get a sniff with any of the goals at all and looked a bit, a bit ropey for me. Um, I, I think the, there was huge positives to take from the Bristol City game generally and um, I thought we we responded really well to, to their manager Lee Johnson. Some of his, what are considered, you know, quite young and fresh ideas of, you know, like the thing he does with um, the centre-half flint to move him around the centre parts of the pitch, up the pitch, down the pitch. And I think we worked out some of those tricks around the movement that they've got with uh, Bobby Reid <clears throat> who had 12 Goal, he's got 12 goals this year, but he'd scored eight away from home. You know, they were 12 yeah. unbeaten on the road, Bristol City. Yeah, yeah, they've had a busy game against Wolves, but, you know, uh, I thought we did a job on them after the first 15 minutes. I think we worked them out. And, you know, we if Snodgrass had took some of his chances, it, you know, it could have been six or seven. Yeah, I mean, Bristol City, but in terms of the calendar year uh, 20s, 17 uh, mm. had one of the best re- I mean it had quite a sensational record uh, mm. well, they were more than I think over 25 points better off than they were this point last season as well yeah, so it shows you they, how much improved they and were. had the second best away record in the league so mm. there were no mugs no, uh, no, 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 you no. Know, that's, that's why I said earlier on that I, I fancied our chances more against Middlesbrough yeah, than I yeah. did against Bristol Mm. after our previous two uh, home games but I think those the early goals helped I mean once we went 2-0 mm. up uh, I, I actually watched Lee Johnson's uh, post-match interview yeah. where he's very I mean I, I like the guy he's very very kind of humble very uh, very considered mm. and as he said uh, you know when they went 2-0 down he thought well let's, he was trying to win the game still and that's why he pushed Flint up yeah and he said, "If we get, yeah. if we can nick one goal back, then that suddenly switches the momentum totally. I mean, obviously Villa have got that. What happened against Sheffield United in the back of their minds. So if Bristol mm. City had got one back, then in, you know he, he just puts Flint back where he was, and the mm. game's on again. And who knows what's happened? But I mean, the Chester, the Chester block was was key. Um, yeah, and he opened himself up. And as he said, yeah. you know, he takes he takes the blame for the third and fourth goal because he made those switches to try to mm. still win the game and uh, gamble." gambled big time and obviously they were there to be taken down and the good thing is Villa actually took advantage and they didn't Bruce you know we've seen it before he settles with what he's got mm-hmm. most of the time mm-hmm. but he just let them let them still be free and uh, let them have a go yeah I, I thought there was it was a I thought they were given free reign weren't they to, to hurt and embarrass Bristol City which is a it is quite an unusual thing in in modern football really that you Teams generally have a professional respect. I don't think this, you know, teams don't go out to spank, you know, when when it's really obvious. I don't. I don't think, that's my view anyway, and it's my, you know. What are you talking about? No, I don't. I, don't, I think it. I, don't, <laughs> oh, well, I think if, okay, boys, make sure we beat them, but let's not beat them too badly because they're jolly good chaps. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I do prescribe to that. I do think that. I, I, I nah, think you'd that's see more. No, I don't think so. I, it's just I, but that I think footballers instance, aren't very good. <laughs> if they could, they could actually finish. Been very if good, they could finish their chances, I mean, you look at some games where Villa are having one shot on target. Well, they're not going to spank anybody because they're only getting one shot on target. But you know, New, Newcastle was spanking teams last season. No, Brighton spanked I, them. No, no, 
You're just a Villa fan. You've got no idea what spanking teams yeah. means. <laughs> My definition might, might be different to other to other teams, but but I, I I take the view that for perhaps the conservative reason that I think a lot of managers, you know, they get to a couple of goals ahead, and particularly away from home, more often than not as well. I think and then they shut up shop. They don't take the view of right. Let's let's turn this into a rout because I think that there's that controlled game management thing that's crept into into football in the last fifteen years, particularly. Um, I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on that, but because I, I, I think that I we... mean the other side of the coin is is once you're ahead, then the other team has to come forward, so that opens them up. So mm. if you're an away team, you're normally set up to be quite resolute at the back, but once you go down you've got to come forward so that opens you up to the counter yeah and the good thing about uh, I mean let's talk about some individuals I mean Grealish yeah, yeah, was that's... calling for the ball every time yeah. he wanted the ball every time and if he got the ball and he's and he was facing uh, with his back towards the opposition goal at the halfway line and he had two players behind him he was still turning into those players and beating them or playing the ball you know wide and and, and getting it going and, and this was the big difference was there was intent. a real real positive intent yeah. you know even going, and, and I think this symbolised it for me, was when the ball came out, I don't know if it was from a corner, and uh, James Chester was still up there on, on the uh, sideline, and instead mm. of pa- playing it back, which back you'd put money, you know, you'd put money 99 times out of 100, a Villa player would play it back in that position, and he backheeled it back yeah. down the line to Adomar. It was an excellent who, piece of play. Who got the cross in, Hogan header, and then uh, Snodgrass got the rebound. But it's just that attitude changes everything. Just to do that back heeler rather than just playing back and, you know, playing the percentages creates yeah. a chance yeah. because it suddenly the opposition, you know, they're expecting the predictable and when you serve That's up something point, unpredictable, yeah. you've, you've got them. That's the point. It was something that that we picked up on last season as well. We had a lack of spontaneity in the team, didn't we? That yeah. you know, the chest that example of Chester's fantastic because the last thing anyone expected in the game was one for him to do it and two for him to pull it off as well. You know, yeah. and then it lands at our probably our most well certainly our most creative player in the team who um and and it was another superb performance. He's, from, he's um, talking from about a domo. Yeah. yeah, from a domo. It was a superb. Uh, you know, he put two almost identical. The the the, the one particularly that he fizzed across onto onto Hogan's head was underlined. I think Adoma's quality in that pos- in that position, you know, but in, take, in terms of percentages and assists, but give the right type of service to a player like Hogan, emphasised, you know, by the fact he scored and for Snodgrass's first, which was a fantastic save actually by the goalkeeper who I, I bagged out earlier. Negaton alert! Hogan scores! Cancel Gabby's five-year contract extension! Cancel extension! Cancel extension! <laughs> His finishing technique, even heading, and he's he's not yeah. the tallest of guys, but he no. he knows how no. to header. And as you know, you go back to players like you know players like Tony Cotty or mm. or Tim Cahill, these short asses, but they know how to header the ball. Or even you know Adrian Heath, Inchy Heath, who obviously played for Villa for a a, a little while. Was it a season? I can't, I can't remember. Mm. The old Everton forward, but these players who they could header the ball and you know get above or get to the ball quicker than you know somebody who's about five or six inches taller than them yeah uh, and I think that that you know that spontaneity combined with a bit of quality on the ball in terms of the delivery and um to Hogan's credit, I think I I saw it particularly in the Brentford game, and I don't know whether that was because he was returning to his old club. I thought he played. I thought he was quite isolated against Middlesbrough, w- worked harder. But against Bristol City, I thought underlined again by the by the post match interview that he did, with, which was fiercely honest and and very quite revealing at times. That I think he he accepted that he hadn't necessarily been good enough. Was quite open that he needed a run of games, and clearly that was a dig that you know in order to be sharp and match ready and to do the things that he reckons. He can do. He needs time. Um, but actually, I think you know he can he can stand behind his performance against Bristol City because I think it, it pleasingly reminded us that we perhaps don't have a dud on our hands here, and that would have been a big concern for, for I think a lot of fans that we were worried about how you know I think you mentioned how few touches he was having and how when he was coming on against his... Bristol City he only had eighteen touches. So I mean I'm I'm not I'm not going to stand here sit here sorry and say <laughs> what a great performance. I mean the thing is he, he's a more of a fox. Yeah. Fox in the box striker, he's a finisher, so his job and what he gets paid for is 
give him one or two chances and he and he sticks them away and that's if he does that then he's doing his job you, you can't yeah. complain and he had you know two shots on target both ended up uh, in the net one obviously going in and then the other one uh, serving up Snodgrass who picked up the uh, rebound but apart from that I mean when when that's two the 16 more touches in the whole game mm-hmm. until he got subbed it's he still needs to do more I think even by his own admission he's not the complete footballer and I have a feeling I'm not sure we bought the complete footballer to be honest you know I've yeah. not, we've not seen that at any point and I don't think there are a few people who I honestly can say they've watched Hogan's career for any length of time. Well, he hasn't had one uh, <laughs> really, because I mean, as he said, uh, well. as he said, uh, you know, of the four years that he's had, two of those years he's been injured, which mm. was, you know, the big. Uh, we mentioned this when we bought him. That was the big question mark. Do you really spend that amount of money on a player that's been injured half of his career? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's still a. It is. A, it is a. An which issue. suggests that the technique that we've just been talking about and was also demonstrated uh, in his second goal against Wigan in the uh, in the mm. league. Cup. He's a good finisher. He knows how to finish, and it's all about if get, getting him more touches. But those touches being actual uh, chances, getting yeah. on the end of chances, because I mean, he looks like he'll stick him away, no problem. Yeah, it was interesting to, for me to contrast him to, uh, especially against Bristol City, seeing uh, Hepburn Murphy up close because different type of player who you know um, shows for the ball in a, in a different way, you know, and obviously gets those those touches in place. But it, it became very, you know, stood next to a flint. It was interesting to see how small Hepburn Murphy is, and he, yeah. he, you know, he had those. Uh, it was only a short snap in, in the Bristol City game, but you know, he got bullied off the ball two or three times very easily, and you think, wow, you know, we've got huge a- aspirations and expectations of a, of a young footballer, but it's not as easy. In the previous slotting. game, he, he he wasn't bad. I mean, uh, I think Hogan got eleven. T- Touches mm-hmm. uh, in like you know seventy five odd you know minutes, mm-hmm. and then Hepburn Murphy came on and he got twelve, mm-hmm. and you know these meaningless steps. But Hepburn Murphy of... did get involved yeah. and he looked yeah, for yeah. the ball, and of course you know he's got a bit more space because Middlesbrough are chasing the game. But yeah. I thought he did all right when he came on in that game. But I I, I, I don't I... see him panning out in the future yeah. as being you know Villa's number one striker as I say I don't think it's a case of whether it was good or bad performance from my point of view and we, you know, we, we, we haven't really seen enough of him again at senior level I, I, I just um, I think it's interesting that we, we've got such different options and, and a couple of those options are actually you know still developing youngsters you know the, the, the fact that Davis burst onto the scene and, and did some interesting things doesn't detract from the fact that he's you know he's still uh, very much learning his trade and you know the, the one criticism of Davis I think if he was a bit older and, and, and wiser would be he doesn't score enough goals you yeah. know, the, the glaring issue I think that for, for Hepburn Murphy in, uh, in what I would perceive to be a more physical division where, where the strikers don't get as much protection as the, as the Premier League is he's very slight in, in terms of his physicality but it's horses for courses you know you know, it's a nice option to have coming off the bench at 70 minutes pacey young technically quite interesting you know it's 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 something very much one for the future I think Hepburn Murphy and that, that's why I think you know it surprises me I'm quite willing to sit here being an arsehole and saying he won't really be the future at Villa <laughs> but uh, because we're going to get promoted and we'll get some big fish in and uh, away we go Davis I, I, he's impressed he's actually impressed me you know in the flesh yeah 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 I've, the only time uh, Hepburn Murphy's impressed me is when he came on against Telford uh, you know two three two seasons years ago, ago. Yeah. Yeah, and he, yeah and he just switched the the game. One of the my uh, guilty pleasures or most pleasing things about the Bristol game was just watching Bjarnason go mad in that game. <laughs> he, he was he was awesome when he came on. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was marauding through the, the whole of the midfield. Some, you know, he was on the left, he was on the right, he was in the middle. He, he, he was very much the utility man, and I, I mean, he was dispatched his the, goal as cool as hell. It was super cool, and um, Bjarnason, as Bruce observed, really falls into a group of players who haven't had the best of luck necessarily. And, and I think Bjarnason has been, you know, he's played everything from left back at Colchester on that horrendous pitch with the rain hammering down on him um, to to being thrown on in the last 15-20 minutes and playing left wing centre midfield defensive left midfield (laughs) but but he's being judged against it and and he's somebody that like you know I think I mentioned this in you know when we're talking in an article I wrote about things we have to get right after the December period was uh, looking a bit ropey was you know Bruce has bought these players like Hogan Mm. Bjarnason and you're thinking why why has he bought them because it doesn't look like he's playing in a way to accommodate them and in the case of Bjarnason, uh, you know, what was the position he bought him for? 
Yeah. It's just I, like, I, oh, that guy, sure. yeah, that guy played in the Iceland team that beat uh, England. We'll get him in. And, and the thing about his role f- for Iceland is is he very much as that player who's, who's behind the strikers and, you know, coming out of the midfield in quite a threatening way. And we, we have seen with Bjarnason, actually, to be honest. Um, he, he, he can be getting to good positions and, and I think yeah. his finishing with his head has been quite poor. And I, I do think that the narrative could have changed on Bjarnason if he'd finished some of those those opportunities. But I d- he's so suffered for being the utility man, hasn't he? As as a couple of players has. What you want is the Elphix, the you know Bjarnesons and Hogans to be all uh, not feeling that they're like left out in the wings because those th- you know three players are essentially like new signings, as the old cliche you want goes. You the door, don't you? you yeah, no, exactly. The- because you know Elphick was discarded on a scrap heap. He wasn't even in the squad. Uh, Bjarnason's warming the bench and obviously mm. Hogan's kind of in and out of injuries and then he's uh, you know not getting the ball when he's playing so to, ha- to have them all back in I mean look at our centre-back position now we've Terry comes back we've got Terry Elphick and Chester and if they're all playing to let's say uh, at least 80% of their ability we've got like probably the best trio in the uh, the league potentially or three of the best mm. and oh, so yeah. you know we can we can take an injury to or we can rotate because I'd like to see even if Terry's fit if we're playing two games in a week three games in a week then you know give Elphick one of those games and you're not going to be any worse off I think a couple of people had already started almost worrying about this fact of what what are we going to do when Terry's returned oh my goodness what a big decision for me although I think it's unfair on Elphick Terry is the first choice centre-half partnership with with Chester but in the context of exactly what you've just said is that if Terry Terry, we can't have him playing three games in a week at 37. It's not. You no, know, yeah. he's going to have breakdowns. The fact that he got that was an unfortunate injury with the with the with the foot. But isn't it a good position to be in to actually have you know Elphick as a competent centre half alongside Chester? Chester really is the outstanding footballer in the team. To be honest, he's he's one of. I think we've we've said before he gets overlooked and um, but he's probably the most composed. Just because he doesn't doesn't let you down. And so yeah, nobody yeah. notices him because most Villa fans are waiting for a player to let them down. <laughs> well, to be fair to him, he's, we have got a few players. You know, he's frighteningly quiet. You never hear anything, do you? And and um, to be fair to Alfic, you know, he was almost in the the, the mini bomb squad, wasn't he? Another one, yeah. like Hutton. Hudson's another one who I have a lot of time for because despite being absolutely thrown onto the slag heap, you know, quietly got on with it. I mean, Alfic had an opportunity, I think, to leave in the summer yeah. um, and, and opted, I think, perhaps to... Uh, one of the moves, I think, fell through, didn't it? But, uh, you know, he's still here, kept his head down. So, you know, he's come on and you know, he was a man-of-the-match performance against uh, Middlesbrough, I think, if memory serves me right. Yeah. And, um, you know, his performances against performance against Bristol City was, was competent too, so... Positive. Yeah, well, I'm just waiting for the Bjarnas and Scorpion kick to fulfil the pro- prophecy. <laughs> and It'll uh, be the we'll... playoff final. <laughs> I want it to be at Wembley, because obviously I think that's where the first Scorpion kick was, was it not? <laughs> yes, it By, was. By uh, the Colombian goalkeeper yeah. who's... Is it Aguita? Aguita? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Wembley. that was an amazing... Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so uh, get ready, folks. If we're in the playoffs and we get to Wembley, watch out for the Bionis and Scorpion kick that sends us into the Premier League. The way the other fixtures went, so mm. a lot of teams are dropping points. I think Cardiff have lost their last four. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They picked up no, no, nothing over Christmas. And so by beating these teams like Bristol City, you know, we gained six points on Bristol City over a couple of days just because they lost against yeah. Wolves when we beat Middlesbrough and then obviously we beat them. Well, it's results like, you know, the Blues managing to beat Leeds, the, yeah. you know, park the rivalry. That's a ridiculously good result for us because that, you know, that, that, that stalls anything that Leeds that's, have got going Yeah, that's, that's like money for nothing because... Yeah, I mean, know, that's the, just bonkers. The Blues uh, the, weren't beating anybody. Well, no, and, and the other result that I think can... It might sound ridiculous given where we aspire to be and blah, 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 but the Wolves beating Bristol City was a hammer blow for Bristol City because it went you know in the space of 15 minutes they were leading 1-0 against 10 men and yeah. it turned on its head you know your keeper sent off you're 2-1 behind it's the 90 fo- 94th minute you know what what that what on earth has happened and um, that, that's that was the game where you knew Wolves had won the league I think yeah I, th- I, I th- they seem I mean they, they obviously went on and they, they they stuck another three in didn't they um uh, in the week I forget who they beat but they're on a they're on a run they're, they're almost do you want to say irrelevant Wolves aren't relevant to me anyway 
<laughs> but the, the point from where from where we are is that if we're going to zone in on anything, it's it's always the team above you. And at the moment, we need to get ourselves back cemented in the uh, in the playoffs, which I think we've done. And and absolutely, you know, the chase is on for Derby for me. That have we got the squad? Have we can we build some momentum? And um, a lot of these teams have got to come to Villa Park now. Well, I think nine out of the top ten have got to come to Villa Park. So mm. uh, kind of shows you it's, it's just a shame that we drop points against Millwall and yeah. Sheffield United yeah. because if we had those four points, then with that fact that all these, let's say, uh, promotion rivals have to come to us, I mean, if we had those four little extra points, I'd, fe- I'd be feeling a bit more smugger about it. But, uh, mm. you know, all to play for and it's still in our own hands. But I'm not convinced about any other team in the league. Like... like- I, I, I take no pride in this, but lo and behold, the Cardiff collapse is happening around us. And, and I was going to say, it's the, the prophecy is finally coming true. It's uh, I mean, there's no rush for these prophecies. I mean, I've just been winding you up the last couple of months <laughs> because uh, they've actually stuck with it longer than perhaps we actually first expected. Yeah, Bristol yeah, City yeah. are another team that I... I mean, it's hard to judge that. I mean, the only time I've seen them, apart from a few highlights, is obviously uh, in the Villa game. It's quite hard to judge a team that have got an outstanding record, but what you're watching with your own eyes is somebody getting thumped five nil. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, but I don't see them and Sheffield United as well. I mean, we should have put them away. Well, Sheffield United, after nine minutes of, we're going back to the, that they were on their knees at Villa Park after that. They yeah. couldn't believe what had happened to them, and the fact that we didn't win that game. That looked like a five just, nil. That looked like it oh. was going five nil. That could have been another, you know, a, a precursor to the Bristol City game, really. The, yeah. And the, the fact that they left with a point was, I bet they can't believe it. It was like Millwall. They, they couldn't believe they didn't beat us at Villa Park. Yeah. But, you know, you look at the table, despite the chronic, winless, disaster December, we're fifth on 44 points. No, we beat and, Middlesbrough in December. Well, we, we, where we are here, you know, as of, as of the time of recording, we're barely into January. We're fifth. And we've got to be... <laughs> in the worst, you know, I've, I've I've come off the back of one of the worst runs of of all the teams. But granted, Cardiff have had chronic form. I think perhaps slightly worse than us. But you know, we're we're five points off Derby with half the season to play. Yeah, I mean, to, sorry, just just to clear up on the uh, the other contenders for that automatic spot. I mean, Leeds, they're just. I mean, come on, nobody gets beat by the Blues. But, well, Reading did recently. But they they just, they kind of, they go a couple of games where they, and they start to threaten and then they start spluttering. Mm. Likewise, Middlesbrough, where you think, right, they're finally on a run. And then we go there and beat them. I mean, if they looked hopeless for me. If they, they were mm. far, far from impressive. If they beat us then, then there's their statement of intent. They could do something for the automatics. But, I, I you know, come on. I don't see them... Uh, they were the team that everybody had as favourites, whereas Villa or them no. f- for the title. No, they're, they're, so uh, legitimately, I'm, just, I'm, I'm I'm just thinking Derby at this stage, us or Derby. Yeah, I, I think so. I think Car- Cardiff are on, on chronic form. Bristol City, I, I think, are now, are now into their sticky patch, if you like. Leeds, you know, they are, they're lost to the Blues. I, I've remembered the other game now that, that I, I saw a bit of um, against Forest that they drew. And Forest, Forest form's pretty... <sighs> Well, they're, they're just a nothing team at the moment, having sacked yeah. the manager, and the fact that they couldn't beat them is, I, I think, says a lot that their their probably best hope is sixth, I think, and um, Sheffield United are, are, are waning as well. So, and Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday look like uh, they're not the force that we expected, and I can't believe we got beat by them at Villa Park. But uh, so yeah, no, so the the no. upshot is, I think it re- legitimately is Villa versus Derby for the other automatic spot. Watch this space. So there you go, folks. If you like the show and also the website, please do become a My or Man Said patron. Just go to myormansaid.com and click on the patron option and support the show that way. That would be much appreciated. Also, obviously, subscribe uh, if you're listening on Apple uh, stroke iTunes. Subscribe there so you'll always get the heads up when the new show is. And if you, like myself, got one of these uh, Amazon Echo devices you can access the show by just saying alexa play my old man said podcast on TuneIn. if you're listening to this show and uh, you've got your echo on in the background it probably just triggered it uh, on there as well <laughs> yeah, by listening to that but yeah so you can access it on that device as well if you uh, if you want to listen to the show hands-free just one thing uh, to finish on I was just I was thinking about this uh, over the December period uh, our our attitude in terms of promotion I just remember when I was a wee a young lad uh, when Villa last got relegated I just remembered it was so clean cut that the next season we were getting promoted and that's all we 
that's all we thought about, or, or all I th- thought about anyway. And it seemed to be a single-mindedness. There was there was no there seemed to be any distraction. And you know, Villa started off pretty poorly at the start. You know, Graham mm. Taylor was getting his team together, and then at the end they had a few hiccups. But it was almost like that just that will. We are getting promoted. We are getting promoted. Uh, that kind of got us over the line. Uh, we we only got promoted on goal difference in the end. Mm. But this time there seems to be. Uh, I don't know, it seems to be, you get fans going, oh, I quite enjoy this league, at least we get a chance of winning, uh, and it's not just getting beaten every season and just trying to stay up in the league. And as as if they're admitting they'd rather stay here, and there just seems to be this kind of lack of ambition, and then you've got, like, social media, the, the clubs, <laughs> the club's social media over Christmas, where they get that two-bit Twitter comedian who does, you know, impressions of football managers, not that great, to be honest. And he portrays Steve Bruce as some kind of bum, Mm. And so you've got this situation where the villa manager is being portrayed as a bum uh, and by the club, by the club, and <laughs> yeah, the players are like thinking, you know, the players are in on this joke. They're doing this Santa's Grotto, and I'm sorry, but I, you know, yes, you should have some fun and all this kind of crap. And you know, sponsors they want some content and they want the players, the celebs, uh, how they view it, to be uh, pushing their brand, but. I think because of what's at stake at Villa here, and you know, if we don't get promoted this season, it's going to be a very different Aston Villa moving forward. And all these uh, Dr. Taney plans are just all going to be pie in the sky because there'll be no money. Mm. And I think there should be more of a boot camp kind of attitude, batten down the hatches, and uh, these players are like, this is serious. No, we're not pissing around in Christmas jumpers. We're uh... well, That was part of the Weiner statement that sort of surprised me, really, that the notion that all leave needed to be cancelled. And I thought, well, <laughs> what? Who's, who's on holiday at this crucial period when we're trying to... <laughs> to you know, this has got to be one of the busiest periods in, in the clubs and key periods for, for fixture congestion. But, I mean, I, the, you know, don't want to pick apart a, a, a short... A short tweet too much but I uh, you know I, I've long been long been worried quietly on the side about you know I think people's people playing down FFP people play financial fair play down a lot people really I don't want to generalize I think that I think the expectation was there to get promoted but our our lack of drive has been concerning because the yeah. fallout of the FFP problem the collapse of our TV revenue, you know, just £500,000 for 16 televised games last season. You know, how many how many weeks of wages is that? It's not- like, last season seemed to have gone with without a whimper. There was hardly any disappointment. The press were all making excuses for Bruce. Bruce was making excuses uh, for himself. And, mm. I'm, you know, not getting at Bruce here, but I'm just saying it just... You know, it was like, oh no, yeah, we didn't go up, no big deal. Uh, it was gonna, you know, it was gonna take time to turn us around, blah blah blah. But this season seems to be carrying on a little bit in that kind of vein. And it was a bit soon, of casual, wasn't it? As soon as the fans started to sh- to you know voice a bit of like, hey, what's going on here in this December period? Then we get attacked, whether you know directly or not, by asking questions. Essentially, what's going on? It's not. I mean, of course, it's it's all. This, you know, distilled to Bruce out, Bruce out. Well, we, were, you know, we were never saying that, and, and most fans weren't. They were saying, "What's going on here? We're we're, mm. we're actually concerned. We're not going to get promoted this season, yet we have one of the best squads, and we this injury crisis. We're only really missing Codger and Terry, to be honest, because we've got this big bloody squad. You know, we've got like ten million pound players sitting on the bloody bench, and they're not being played. So, uh, can you tell us what's going on and why you're not beating these uh, two-bit team pub teams? <laughs> <laughs> so, there needs to be. I think uh, 2018 needs to be like we're all in it together. Get those bloody fireworks going before the game, uh, and it's all about promotion. Absolutely. Well, we don't need to meander and sort of trundle our way through the through the season as we did at times last. Do we? you know there was big changes last season? But we, you know, we're we're a, we're a different outfit. I think that we've got the you know one of the best squads to do the job at hand. Um, you know, I still prescribe to the view that Steve Bruce is is far from the perfect manager, but the credentials stack up to what what we need here and now. I think discussions around the Premier League are premature until we get there. You know, pe- people have. Uh, of the generation of Villa fans that maybe have watched in the last 10 years as well have only known the Premier League in a certain way and I didn't watch much Premier League football last year but I've watched more this year and you know I have to say a lot to do with West Brom's demise really and you know a club that I would have considered to be stabilised in the Premier League but that was almost their downfall like a number of other clubs that yeah and we fell into the same trap of fourth bottom was almost good enough 
and sooner or later you get found out. Um, and it's it comes back to that word of ambition that I think if you can show enough ambition and be... The blueprint is annoyingly someone like Leicester City who had luck, good fortune, but actually the right attitude and approach to the Premier League that one season and probably since, that their fans, I imagine, get out of bed on a Saturday morning not necessarily knowing what's going to happen, but it's not going to be that they're going to see a boring game of football or be sat behind the ball and this sterile modern football that that I don't think is particularly saleable or, or attractive to people. To bring it back to the championship and promotion, I mean, if you look at Newcastle last season, I mean, they had a big advantage because they were desperate to keep uh, Rafa Benitez because, mm. you know, his credentials speak for themselves and he was above the championship standard and, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have batted an eyelid if he uh, turned his back on Newcastle. But him staying galvanised the whole mm. setup. I mean, suddenly the Newcastle fans, I think it's the Galloway flags or whatever set up and there were suddenly these massive flags everywhere uh, at the games and so the fans really got into this, you know, they, they really got behind Rafa because he'd shown them that kind of loyalty that, uh, you know, he was going to give it a season to help them get back because, you know, after all, he'd uh, taken them down at the end. They were just fired up to get promoted. Well, Villa, we just lost all identity. and we, Yeah, yeah. We, it was this kind of like floating out of, you've been in orbit of the Premier League and then suddenly you've been hit by an asteroid and then you're just floating mm. off into space and you're not, yeah. you know, you're not going anywhere. Right, well, we'll try to get the momentum going uh, for the rest of the season. This is the first uh, show back of the new year, and uh, it takes us about six shows to get back to maximum, would you say? No, well, it takes you six shows. It takes me one and a half. (laughs) All right, okay. Well, uh, at least we'll be halfway there next show. Right, until uh, next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. My old man said Scott Hogan Scott Hogan Scott Hogan Scott Hogan, motherfucker! Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.